You're listening to the Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Bible for Normal People. Our guest is Kirsten Powers. Yeah, she's a journalist, a political analyst. You see her on CNN with Anderson Cooper quite a bit. She writes for USA Today. Yeah. So she's she's out and about. She's sort of a big deal. Yeah, and our topic is the journey to grace because she has a really interesting spiritual journey that is just it's it's rocky like most people's are, you know, when yeah, at least you, when, you're, when you're allowed to talk about it. Right, mm-hmm. And be honest and authentic about it. So Yeah, I, I appreciated her, her openness and her honesty about sharing her journey and how it's impacted some of the conversations that she has with others and how she's learning to work, you know, walk with grace and something I think that all of us can relate to in our spiritual journeys as well. Yeah, in a political climate where there isn't a lot of grace. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. All right, well, let's just jump into the conversation with Kirsten. If you really want to change people, then you're probably going to have to be in a relationship with them. If you just want to be self-righteous, you know, you can do that, but you probably aren't going to bring anybody along. I just feel like you've got to ground yourself in something. For me, it is spiritual practices and spiritual beliefs and kind of remembering what I believe and who I want to be. If you really want to spend your time honing in on things that need to change, a good place to start is with yourself. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord. And others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and she said, can I try some? And so I, I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work. And just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Kirsten, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, listen, you know, people know who you are. We, we know who you are. and But, you know, there's maybe a side of you, you've had a religious journey over the years, and maybe just give us quickly just a thumbnail sketch of what that looked like for you. Okay, I'll do my best to make it as condensed as possible because it's a, it's it's quite a, an epic journey, actually, <laughs> in the sense that I grew up in a very liberal family. My mother was, was a lapsed Catholic, and my father was Episcopalian, and we went to an Episcopal church with my father. My parents got divorced when I was five. So, you know, I had a kind of nominal Christian upbringing. We went to church and Sunday school, but it wasn't anything particularly intense. And um, I became, you know, by the time I went off to college, I was an atheist or agnostic, kind of back and forth. And in my 30s, when I was living in New York, I was dating somebody who went to Redeemer Presbyterian, Tim Keller's church. 
Mm-hmm. And um, he had asked me to go to church with him. Long story short, I, I ended up going to that church. I didn't know it was evangelical because I didn't even know anything about Christianity, really. Um, had I known, I would not have gone because I didn't like evangelicals, um, even though I didn't know anything about them. And <laughs> I uh, went, and so I went with him, and I was really taken with Tim, and I was really just sort of fascinated by it, I guess, you know, almost from an anthropological standpoint. And over the year of going there, you know, I ended up breaking up with that guy. But over that year of going there, I became a believer and kind of intellectual believer. I I didn't have any kind of big spiritual experience. Then a little bit later, I did have a big spiritual experience. And I became quite serious about my Christianity. And I didn't know anybody else who was talking about faith or religion or anything spiritual really because all my friends were atheists you know for the most part maybe sort of nominal christians but it just wasn't something that we talked about and so i sort of felt like well these people are the only people i know who are talking about this so i guess they must know what they're talking about and so that sort of is where i fell down the evangelical rabbit hole as i say and was sort of in that for many years, uh, I would have to count them up at some point to figure out exactly when I started kind of moving away, but probably at least up to the year before I became uh, Catholic. So, and that was 2015. And I was never all in, in the sense that I'm not a conservative person, right? So I wasn't, a lot of the stuff that they would say, I'd be like, "Mm, I don't really think that's in the Bible. But (laughs) I was, you know, I fell far enough into it and got deep enough into it that actually they did a lot of damage to me. And so it's something that I'm still processing, frankly. Um, And so it was with that kind of in my background that I decided to become Catholic, which I can, you know, tell you about that as well. But I feel like this story is already getting kind of long. Well, not really. Um, Why don't you get into that a little bit? What what brought you maybe to maybe even the faith of your childhood, so to speak, if, if at least there was a lapsed Catholic in, in, in your upbringing. But what led you to Roman Catholicism? Well, yeah, I think it was always sort of in the back of my mind because my grandparents, who were by far the most important uh, people in my life, were very Catholic, my mother's parents. And so even that was a presence in my life when I was growing up. And I went to a Catholic high school, to a Jesuit high school, um, because my grandparents really wanted me to go go there. And um, so that was pretty formative. And so it was always kind of in the back of my mind. And oh, and then I started, um, there was a, a priest, you know, I was working at Fox News at the time, and there was a priest there named Father Jonathan Morris. And we became friends. He was a, you know, religion commentator. And so we became friends and we would go to dinner and we would talk. And whenever we would talk about theology, I'd say, well, that's what I think. Hmm. Like, for example, we talk about, you know, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And the evangelicals would be saying, you know, the only way you get to God is through Jesus. And, you know, that's not what Catholics believe. You know, they don't, they're like, I don't know who's going to be in heaven. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of people there who weren't Christians. So, you know, more opening to questions. Yeah. And so, you know, more open also to mystery you know, conscience, you know, th- these different things. And so whenever we would, I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. And obviously they're very theologically rigorous. And so that sort of started to plant some seeds. And then I went on a trip 
for journalists to roam and I was only half paying attention when I accepted the invitation and it was to basically introduce journalists who write about faith, which I do to, you know, all the people at the Vatican. So you could be informed when you're writing about Catholicism, but there was also a pilgrimage. So, which I didn't realize until I got there. And so we did a pilgrimage around Rome every day. You know, we would go to different holy sites and, and I just was really intrigued by how many women there were where they would say, oh, this was so-and-so and she's, you know, Saint so-and-so and she was advising the Pope in the 15th century or, you know, and it's just after being in the evangelical world where like there was, you know, this idea that like women couldn't teach men, right? And then you hear mm-hmm. you have like a woman teaching probably a girl, frankly. I mean, she was probably you know, a teenager or something advising the Pope. And obviously Mary is very, you know, has is such a prominent role. And there's just much more of the feminine in it, I guess, which I, I know surprises a lot of people probably when they think of the Catholic Church because it is right. so patriarchal. Um, and I think I was at a place where I felt like I'm not ready to give up on Christianity I'm pretty close, but I'm not ready and I'm not ready to give up on Jesus. And I'm trying to somehow make this work. Mm. And I just felt like the Catholic church was the place where I could, I could make it work. And it was the place that I, I love the liturgy and I, I love all the rituals and I love, I even love confession. I I love all that kind of stuff. So I, that was sort of the mindset that I went in with and I was quite happy. And then, you know, it just was started being a lot of the similar, similar stuff, the fights in the Catholic church. Now the difference is of course, in evangelicalism, there is no fighting between the liberals and the conservatives in any kind of serious way because they say all the liberals are like, aren't really Christians in the Catholic church. They actually have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's this constant sort of fighting back and forth from the conservatives and and the liberal sides of the church. And I, you know, that I find that I found that a little exhausting. And then I, of course, you know, it turned out they weren't totally honest about all the things that they were supposedly had come clean about in terms of molesting children. So I got, Mm -hmm. you know, I've got very frustrated about that. I've been, you know, and increasingly became again very frustrated with the patriarchal nature of it because if you look at the situation with molesting children, it's just hard for me to believe that the fact that this place is such a boys' club is completely 100% run by men and doesn't have something to do with it. Mm -hmm. And so I just, so I'm in a place now of, I don't want to even call it questioning because it's, I'm even past that. I'm in more of a, I am very much embracing the mystery and trying to figure out uh, if there's a way for me to make it work with Catholicism. And my spiritual director is Father James Martin. I don't know if you know him. Of course, yeah. yeah. We had him on the podcast. He was on the podcast. Yeah, so he's amazing. And, you know, I've been very frank with him. And, you know, he just has, you know, really urged me to take my time and, and pray about it and, thinks I have plenty of reasons to be upset and a lot of people are upset, but I don't know really know where I'm going to end up, I guess, is, Hmm. is what I would say is that I just, I'm in, I'm continuing on this journey and I'm in a very, very different place than I was, you know, even five years ago. How does that, you know, where you are in your, your spiritual journey, how is that tracked with 
your politics and maybe even more concretely or practically how you dialogue or talk about politics with other people because there is a in my tradition there's this connection between we have these deep-seated convictions that kind of god is on our side about some of these ethical things and that's what leads to maybe the way the more the combative or aggressive Mm -hmm. way we talk to other people about that has that shifted in you as your story unfolds well i think if i was to look back um so let's see i started going to tim keller's church in i want to say it was 2005 probably so if I was to look back between now and then, I'm, I became more liberal. That's what's kind of curious. You know, I actually became more liberal after I became a Christian. And I was always a Democrat, but I was more of a third-way Democrat, you know, like a Bill Clinton Democrat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked in the Clinton administration, and it was a more, you know, the moderate, um, capitalistic, you know, kind of Democrat. And I became... As the more deeper I got into it, the more progressive I became and the more, you know, I mean, I don't know if I'm socialist. I don't have a problem with it. You know, it seems smart to me. And that is sort of what happened to me. It's not, I never really, even though I was surrounded by all these conservative people, I just was like, this just isn't what the Bible says. Like, I just, I, I can't, I don't know where you're getting it. And... And I did have friends, you know, I would say I was so sincere. That's the thing, right? I I didn't know anything. I had no baggage. I didn't have a, like, serious upbringing, religious upbringing. And so I just read the Bible every day, you know? And I, and then people would start talking about it. And I just would be like, where does it say that we're supposed to have a strong military and a small government? Like, I don't know where this is coming (laughs) from. You know what I mean? And they'd be like, what? You know? And I was like, I'm not being narky like i'm serious like i was like so sincere right i was like right. well, i don't i don't know where is this and they're like oh well yeah i guess it's not in there you know or <laughs> it was just so i never really came around and never made me particularly more conservative the one place that i get, did get pulled in a little bit on was abortion and i think in hindsight i never thought abortion should be illegal and i continued to vote for democrats but i did get kind of like pulled into this whole late-term abortion thing, which I kind of look back on now, and I'm like, what was going on? And the only thing I've been able to figure out is that I think I felt like I had to somehow prove that I was, like, a real Christian Yeah, you're still in. Yeah, Yeah, I I don't know, because the only thing I can think of, because now I look at it, and I'm like, what was I even talking about? I don't, (laughs) like, why would these women go in and get, you know what I mean? Like, of course. Yeah, yeah, you, like, walk away, and it's like, what happened? No, I was was, like, what was I... I no no I started, I pulled out some of my columns and I read them to my fiance. I was like, "Can you explain what this even means?" I was like, "I don't yeah. even know what this means. It's illogical, you know." And yeah. it's like there's like a woman a woman going in to get an abortion at eight months probably has a really good reason. Like, who waits eight months to get an abortion? Like, mm. they, you know what I mean? Like, you you wanted to be pregnant, so I it's just like so I you know started looking into it more and I, and I actually wrote a column saying I just was completely wrong about this, you know, uh-huh. because, and so I did get pulled into that. And I think that, um, but I think what you're talking about is that very kind of black and white dualistic, like either or in out thinking. I definitely fell into that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think a lot of our listeners and Jared and I, we really 
We feel that because that is certainly something that people struggle with. And just, you know, I mean, I think what you're saying is really very encouraging to a lot of our listeners that, you know, you've gone through a process where you had a dose of certainty and Mm, dualistic thinking, but then you say, it doesn't explain my reality, but you don't want to let go of God. And I think that's a powerful instinct that that humans have. And many, many people listening are – that's where they are. You know, that, there's no question. It just the, the mystery the, – the, taking the mystery of God, the mystery of the infinite creator, seriously, and not feeling as if we need to have the answers to all of life's questions. And it sort of takes the pressure off and you get to, to journey and to explore and to ask questions and to say, I don't know, mm-hmm. or I'm not sure, because that's just part of being human. That's, I mean, that's a really encouraging thing for people to hear. I like hearing it. Yeah. You know? Well, I know I, I would have needed to hear it because I, I do. So the person, the, really what pulled me off the ledge, because it was before I met Father Martin, where I really was at the point of, I just can't, I just don't think I'm a Christian anymore. I just, I can't, but it was really painful for me, right? It was, I was having this real existential crisis and I can't remember, do you know Jonathan Merritt? Yes, of course. Yeah. So Jonathan's Mm -hmm. one of my best friends and, um, and I was really having a hard time. We had him on here too, by the way, all all your buddies. Yeah. Oh God. (laughs) Do you have any more? Any more (laughs) you recommend? Anyway, okay. Yeah. And he, yeah. And so we were, you know, on vacation in Italy and we're like sitting in the hot tub and I'm like, I just don't even, I can't anymore, you know? And He's like, you need to read Richard Rohr. Mm. And so I was like, yeah, I always hear about Richard Rohr, but I never read him. Because, of course, probably when I was an evangelical, someone told me he was a Satan worshiper or something. You know, right? I mean, you know, people mm-hmm. are yeah. like, oh, this yeah. is the dark side. You know, mm-hmm. so um, I ended up downloading Falling Upward. And I was like, this is, oh, my gosh, this is it. You know, I was like, I can actually breathe again. Because um, I was like, this is what I think. You know, yeah. I was like, I, you know, everything he was saying theologically. And so then Jonathan said, oh, well, he's having a retreat. And I was like, well, I have to go, you know. Hmm. And so he managed to get me into this retreat. And it was with like 10 people. Um, and just we spent like three days with him and he just taught. And that was a real turning point for me. Can you flesh that out a little bit? Because, again, a lot of people have read <laughs> Roar who listened to this. And, and what was it that helped you? What what maybe opened your eyes to a different way of thinking, you know, non-dualistically and accepting mystery and all that? Well, for me, it really was what I had always thought until I kind of got pulled into this world, right? So the, the best way I can explain it is it's like there's this meditation teacher, Jonathan Faust, and he tells this you know, to joke or whatever. I'm not going to tell the whole thing because it's very long, but it sort of explains what happened is, you know, he says like Satan's watching, walking along with a junior demon and there's a person in front of them that's about to become a believer. And the little junior demon's like, you know, you got to do something. You got to stop them. You got to stop them. They're going to believe And Satan's like, yeah, whatever. It's like, no problem. I'm not sweating it. And he's like, you know, so they keep going and the guy's getting closer and, and the little demon keeps freaking out. Satan's like totally chill, not a problem. Finally, the guy falls on his knees, accepts God, and the de- and the little demon's like, "What now? Look, look, you know, now what are we going to do?" And he's like, "Don't worry, I'll help him organize it." <laughs> All right. And I was like, "That <laughs> is what happened to me." So I had a very profound spiritual experience, and I had people say, "Now we're going to give you a theology, and we're going to tell you what that experience meant." 
so prior to me buying into the theology, I thought what Richard Worth says, right? It was yeah. like, but I got this whole other theology, and it was, I thought they were they, they knew what they were talking about. And um, and honestly, I think in hindsight, I had some trauma that probably set me up to be receptive to some of this stuff. Hmm. And I wasn't a super fearful person, but I think that I had enough fear that they were able to, you know, it was always amazing to me also because of how often God talks about not fearing, how much fear really was a driving factor. And just to be clear, I'm not putting this all on like Redeemer or right, Tim Keller because right. I that's not that's not what I was only there for a couple of years and then I moved to another church and you know so I was in various churches and then I you know tried the I mean when I moved to DC I started going to an Anglican church I was kind of like moving like little by little but that ended up being like way more evangelical than I realized it was going to be wow. and so yeah so I don't want anyone to think like this was coming from like Tim necessarily but it was just people around me and and I was uncomfortable with a lot of it. I was uncomfortable with the idea that women, you know, weren't allowed to teach men. You know, I obviously never, ever accepted the homosexuality argument. Just never made sense to me. Um, and so there was a lot of tension. It was not a happy time for me. Mm -hmm. You know, when I look back on it, it was, it's weird that I stayed as long as I did, but I do think it speaks to how fearful you can become um, because it's this kind of idea that if, if you start questioning or you start, you know, not believing or reading the wrong things, that somehow you're on the wrong path. It sounds so crazy to me saying it now, but that's how I felt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning. residential online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, Pete, I've been pretty emotional this week, and I was trying to reflect on why that was. And it turns out, you know, my best friend from college just died. My mom's been in the hospital, and I just haven't taken the time to reflect and process all of that. And it's been coming out in all these wonky ways, and that's exactly what therapy can help with. That's really been my experience with therapy as well. I've benefited tremendously from therapy, and I think lately I've been able to get to the point of why. It's learning to look at your situation more as an observer from the outside instead of just reacting to things, just thinking about it and processing the information. 
I find a lot of the problems become more manageable that way. And that's what therapy does for me. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com BNP today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash B-N-P. Well, not to create some whiplash here as we go to a, a <laughs> completely different topic, but I am curious to talk a little bit about, you know, we're in an election year here in 2020. And um, I was fascinated as we were doing some background on a USA Today um, opinion piece you wrote on being a part of toxic public debate mm. and how you were planning to to change that. And I think it's a, just a really relevant topic in the midst of kind of the era of Trump and uh, divisive language and polarization. And now it's only going to get heated over the next few months. Right. So could you maybe, as in kind of the vein of sharing your story, could you just share how you came to that realization as well? Yeah, I think that I had... I've always been a, I feel like I've been a fairly balanced, you know, person in terms of my analysis, my weird late term abortion columns, notwithstanding. And I noticed after Trump that I was really becoming agitated all the time. And I was agitated on the air. I was you know, agitated at home. I, I wasn't even, I got to the point where I didn't even want to talk to the people right, who, hmm. who were there to defend him. So when I would go in the green room and they would be there, I was like, I don't even want to know. I don't even, I don't care what's happening in your life. I don't want to know about your kids. I don't want to know anything, which is not really how it's typically been for me. Typically, I've always been able to have relationships with people, even if I, I mean, I'm not best friends with them, but I'm, you know, I'm cordial and I'm, I'm friendly to mm -hmm. them. And I, you don't repulse. Yeah. Them. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm treating them with humanity and um, I have had, I mean, I worked at Fox news as a left of center person and I, you know, had relationships and friendships with a lot of people that I disagreed with on a lot of things. I now realize that a lot of those disagreements were actually not <laughs> as big as I thought they were mm. because we're in a completely different terrain now, obviously. So that was happening. I was noticing it, but I didn't really know what to do about it. And then the whole Covington thing happened. And I, with the kids, you know. And right, the, and the Native and American. Native American. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I got, you know, very involved in that, you know, online and upset. Of course, again, because I was had this thing of, like, I'm a Christian and I need to speak up and I need to say. It's like, you know. We can talk about the Enneagram. I'm an eight, you know, so it's like... Yeah, I'm an eight, too. Yeah, eight, so yeah. it's just like, yeah. calm down, oh, sister. You're um, not, I'll sign you're off not right now. I'll let yeah, you two go like, at it. Like, you're, you're not the savior of the world. You know, it's like, but I was definitely still in that mode. And when the dust settled, I, I was like, what is going on? You know, I, I just was like, I don't... This is not who I want to be. And this is not who... It doesn't matter how badly, you know... I think Trump supporters behave or Donald Trump behaves like this is not what I believe. And I still am enough of identify enough as a Christian, you know, that I was like, this just is nothing that like aligns with the teachings of Jesus, um, the way I'm behaving because I'm so judgmental. I'm so sure that I'm so much smarter and better than everybody else. And, you know, I just real. And so I just basically like I deleted the Twitter app. And I just got offline and I, I stayed off for, I think, about a month. 
And during that time, spent a lot of time reflecting. And I just was like, you know, I just think at different points in my career, I sort of looked back over and like I use the example of, you know, around the late term abortion stuff. And I just was like, I just, this is not helping things, you know, and it's, and it's not, this is not who I want to be. And I just think we need more grace. And yes, there's a lot of bad things that are happening and you do need to speak up and you need to still name those things. But I think you have to be very careful about the position of like your heart. You know, are you, are you just naming it or are you also judging and holding yourself as the only righteous good person? Is this thing on? Oh, hey, everyone. Mike here. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far, whether you're in Denver, Indy, Columbus, Guatemala, or anywhere else. If you are, then I want to let you in on a little secret. There's more cool stuff than just these incredible episodes. Posts, videos, outtakes, a Slack community, and even hangouts with Pete, Jared, and the community. For as little as $1 a month, you can join the group that helps keep the podcast going and improving. Interested? Head on over to the Patreon platform at patreon.com slash thebiblefornormalpeople. One special group in particular is the Producers Group. This group works hard to help keep Pete and Jared in line and the podcast improving. I'd like to give a shout out to the following producers. Michelle Casey, Shea Box, Ted Cole, Dustin Bauckham, Marilyn Johnson, Kevin Hofer, Lauren O'Connell, and Rich Spini. Really, the podcast wouldn't be this normal without you. All right, well, time to get back to the podcast. Let the good times roll. Can you can you say more? Can you speak more to that? Because I do think that's a very nuanced position between, on the one hand, naming it and having our convictions and not compromising our convictions, and being gracious to other people about those things. And I just I, and I have friends who would you know call me out and say that I'm you know you're you're not standing up for what you believe, you're sort of compromising your beliefs by having a relationship with more conservative people and not yelling at them about all the things that we disagree with. And uh, so, and, but then on the other hand, it's, it's, yeah, it's a fine line. So could you just say more about, you said it's, it's a tricky thing to do. How have you figured yeah. that out? <clears throat> well, it's very tricky. And let me just be totally transparent and tell you that I'm an unbelievably judgmental person. Like I have, like, it is a struggle, right? So like, that is something that I have to, to work against. Um, and I think that I actually have been able to do it. So that's the good news that I really feel like I've made a lot of progress on that since identifying that. Um, I have tons of opinions. I really believe strongly in, you know, inequality and, you know, I'm anti-racist and I'm anti-misogyny and all these things. And I think that for me, it really does go back to my spiritual beliefs. I, I, you know, I think it's maybe a little harder if a person doesn't have those spiritual beliefs. But I, I really do feel like the person I'm trying to emulate is Jesus or Buddha or, you know, people who have really set a, a really great example, whether it's Martin Luther King Jr. But, you know, these, these really great people who we revere, you know, as people, whether you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, right? But the people look at that and say, you know, they look at Martin Luther King and, and, and I mean, was he hating people? Was he being nasty to people? Was he being, you know, snarky and giving the clap back and all that kind of stuff? No, of course not. So if you really pull the lens back and go, what are really great people in history doing? They're not doing this. 
You know, mm. they're, they're, they're building relationships with people and they're trying to change them. And, you know, Jen Hatmaker, do you know Jen? Have you oh, had yeah. Jen on? Yeah. So she, she was on she too. Was yeah. On. yeah. Keep going. Yeah. So, I mean, so Jen had a really great. We had Jesus on too. Yeah. Once, but she keep talking about him. So yeah. yeah. But anyway. she, she did a really great Facebook post, which I can't do justice to, but she got a lot of flack because she was having, some, she's doing a podcast series, I guess. And she had had some people on who were yes, not yes, affirming. Yeah. Right? right. And she has become affirming, uh, you know, and believes that homosexuality is not a sin and, and all of that. But she was having these people on and, and a lot of people felt betrayed. And what she said was that, She's she's like, but that used to be me, yeah. right? So it's like all these people who love Jen are saying, don't talk to the people who believe what you used to believe not that long ago. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and she's saying like, I changed my beliefs because I was in relationship with other people. So yeah. if you really want to change people, then you're probably going to have to be in relationship with them. If you just want to be self-righteous, then, you know, you can do that but you probably aren't going to bring anybody along. Now, if yeah. you're somebody who's marginalized or has been harmed by, you know, by something, let somebody else handle it. And that was Jen's point. Jen's like, I'm doing the work so you don't have to do the work. If you are if you're a gay person who grew up in the evangelical church, like this is not work that you need to be doing. You know, you don't need to be you know, trying to make people change their minds. You don't need to be in relationships with people who are saying harmful things about gay people. She's like, I can do that. Mm, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, and that, and I thought that was really interesting way to put it. It's like you, you're not, cause you're not affirming. There was another, um, I forget what his name is, but he runs something called better angels. Uh, David something. And, yeah, we, yeah. We had that at our, we had one of those at our church this last, maybe two weeks ago. It's like a full day seminar from people on the right and left to dialogue you know he i was uh, on a panel with him and his backstory is that he used to be um he used to run an organization that literally existed only to, to oppose gay marriage and he used to go around the country and uh debate jonathan rausch and who's gay and who's written you know a lot about the issue and they became friends you know because they were on the road all the time uh, you know, debating each other and, and they got caught and they were going to the airport and they got caught in traffic and they were in a car together for like two or three hours or something. And during that time, through that relationship and also through meeting other people through Jonathan, David changed his mind. And this man, this is, this was his entire life, you know, was dedicated to stopping gay marriage. And he, he changed his mind and he lost his everything. I mean, he had to mm. sell his house. He had to, you know, his whole company like collapsed because it was like a nonprofit that all the funding existed for this. And, but the point is if Jonathan Roush had just been like, I'm not gonna have a relationship with you because you don't agree with me. Yeah. Then he never would have changed his mind. Um, But again, I want to be clear that may not be, if you're somebody that's listening to this and you're like, I just can't do that. That's okay. Right. I don't, you know, I don't think that you have to do it, but I, but I would say you also don't need to let like other people's bad behavior, like corrode your own heart. Right. Which is what was happening to me. It's like you're kind of giving them power in a weird way because they're like getting inside of you and they're making you angry and they're making you judgmental and hateful. And it's just like that's theirs. You know, don't take it on. Yeah. I mean, I, what you're saying, that just makes so much sense. And I, I love the point you made um, about Jen, too, and, and her rationale for doing what she did because of relationships and 
you know, I've had my own experiences where people I don't, I'm sort of judgmental too. So I, people I just, they're wrong. Yeah. And I don't like what they say. And then there's some animosity. But, you know, it's happened more than once that others, have, th those people have reached out to me. Mm -hmm. And we start talking differently, right? And you start to – all of a sudden, some of those differences, they don't mean as much. Now, again, this is not about things that actually hurt people. These are like fine theological points, right. which are boring. But, um, but you know, that can create some tensions too with people. But, you know, the whole notion of how relationships and getting to know people – Honestly, you need to know that's why we have you on the podcast. We're concerned about you. We, we're hoping with <laughs> re in relationship you you can change a lot because because <laughs> yeah. I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, so how does exactly. that sound? Okay, but yeah. So. Well, well, if I can, I think that is one danger though, and maybe you can speak to that because you said like if you if you want to change people, you have to be in relationship. And for me, that smacks a little bit of growing up with like friendship evangelism. Yeah, where it's like mm -hmm. we'll be in relationship with someone so that you can preach the gospel to them and they'll be like Jesus. And it turned people into projects. And yeah. I kind of wince at the projects right. that I had as a kid that were people who it's a bait and switch. And so, you know, I don't know what you think about that, but for me, I've come to the place where I feel like my calling is to be in relationship and to be in friendships with people and then have that be the full stop. Um, and not so that I can try to change their mind on these things. Do you? How do you feel about that? Well, I think that I don't think I could be really friends with somebody who didn't agree with me on some of these core issues. I mean, mm -hmm. just being truthful with you. I mean, I'm not going to – I don't have any close friends. I'm trying to think if I have any – you know, I do have like a friend who was like my best friend in college who still – thinks homosexuality is a sin, right? So that's a good example. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's a 25-year relationship. Yeah. Um, we disagree on it. She certainly knows all my feelings about it, trust me. Um, and I'm not going to end that relationship. So maybe that's an example. Now, am I going to start a new relationship with somebody who thinks that? Probably not. You know, I, yeah. um, I just think we're not going to be aligned enough probably on a lot of things, and I don't have a lot of time and you know, and so my closest relationships are people who tend to, you know, care broadly about the same things I care about. But the question is, can you have them on your podcast if it's relevant the way Jen is? Or, you know, can you have a friendly relationship with them at work? Or can you, you know, these these kinds of things where, you know, maybe you have coffee with them every now and then. They're not in your inner circle. Right. You Acquaintances yeah. and people you have yeah. not negative you know, emotions toward. Um, yeah. Right. So, you know, can you have them to maybe a party or something. I don't know. It's, I think every person's called to different things. Um, mm, yeah. And I just, you know, for me, I'm just so passionate about the things that I believe that, you know, for me, this more would apply to people who are already in my life. You know, it would apply to some people, maybe to their family, right? Where, right, right. you know, I don't have that in my family, but, you know, a lot of people do. Right. You know, how do you, how do you maintain grace um, in those situations? Um where you're not always, you know, getting in fights. And so I'm actually working on a book about grace. So it's, this is something that I will be thinking a lot about um, over the next year. Um, so wow. hopefully I'll have more better answers for you. I'm starting it probably next week. <laughs> Just um, not dualistic answers, right? Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, so, yeah, I don't think it's, it's not an easy thing. It's, but like I said, for me, I just, I, I don't think if you take again somebody like, you know, 
and Nelson Mandela would be another person, right? I mean, he, he can show grace towards the people who, who treated him so badly, but we can't show grace towards somebody who disagrees with us, you know, on, yes, important issues. I'm not saying that they're not important, but the point is, you know, or, or, or MLK is being persecuted, right? I mean, it's like these people are being mm-hmm. persecuted and they're still being loving. So what does that mean? You know, how do, yeah. you, how do you apply that when you say, you know, there's certainly nothing, you know, as, as bad as my disagreements may be, they're not worse than segregation. They're not, they're just not worse. And so, you know, how do you, how, how do you integrate that in and not, like I said, don't take on the hate and, and be loving. And, and I guess for me, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. I, I think it's something that, you know, I'm certainly trying to pursue and trying to figure out along the way. Um, and I'm not going to pretend I have it all figured out. Yeah, of course. So is that, I mean, would you say, not to put words in your mouth, but would you say that is, if if you had to define what does it mean to be Christian, I, I'm imagining that a lot of this would go into that definition of just how we treat others and, mm-hmm. and extending grace and not putting up walls between us because we disagree on matters. And if people like Mandela can, if Jesus on the cross can say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. I mean, that's sort of a model, right? For how we, so it's maybe, I don't know, again, not to put words in your mouth, but it's sort of like disrespecting other people as human beings. And, and that's how you show the love of God to them. And that's, you know, we don't have all the answers to the mysteries of the universe, but we do have stuff right in front of us that we can be doing. Yeah, I think it's the interconnectedness, right? Yeah. The oneness. And I think it's, it's what's interesting if you, I mean, I've, you know, in the last couple of years read a lot about Buddhism and it's interesting how similar a lot of that is in terms of what Jesus taught, right? And so I think that there are some sort of consistent spiritual principles. I don't know enough about Islam to know, but I'm pretty sure it's in there. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. we any religion that I learn about seems to have these principles in them about, you know, humility, forgiveness, loving other people. Yeah, don't be know. a jerk. Yeah, the yeah, sort of yeah. interconnectedness of, of all of us, you know, that people are made in the image of God um, and not, you know, and, and again, to... Not always is it's it's it just can't always be other people that have the problems. I just always feel like, you know, if you really want to spend your time honing in on things that need to change, a good place to start is with yourself. Yeah. And so, there you you know do do these other things, you know, whatever issues it is that you're passionate about. But I also think, for me, and again, this is one of my struggles, is to not put myself in the position of like judge and jury and you know the person who knows everything shout out to claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples you know folks i've had allergies my whole life and i never knew what to do with them i didn't even know that i had allergies but anyway one day i went to the doctor several years ago and i said listen i keep having a stuffed nose and it's just my throat hurts and it's horrible and he says have you tried claritin d and i said no i haven't and he said you have to see Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double-action combination of prescriptive-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. 
You know, I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for about 15 years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat, and my nose isn't stuffed all the time. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you're in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Well, you mentioned Richard Rohr, and you know one of the things that really got me into him many years ago was he said something like, um, the religious life is always looking outward and saying, what's wrong with them? And the, the spiritual journey is about turning it inside and saying, what am I learning about myself from what's happening right now? And that, to me, is just a profound yeah. Christian insight, and, um, and, and, and for other faiths, too. Christians don't own this, but it's, it's certainly a Christian insight and mm-hmm. um, a powerful one. So, yes. Well, can, let me ask you a question I hate getting. Can I ask you this? Yeah, go ahead. So, what do, what do you think of the Bible? Like, how does does this factor in in terms of you know maybe just the broad outline of Jesus's story? Do you and you used to read it a lot? Is mm-hmm. it something that's still a part actively of how you think about what it means to follow this path, or are you sort of done with it and just tired of it? I you know I, I used to yeah I used to read it every day. Um, I don't read it every day now. I still read it sometimes, but I really only read like I want to read like what Jesus is saying. For the most mm-hmm. part, um, a lot of the other stuff I f- sometimes find upsetting and yeah. alarming. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, so I, that's just sort of where I am right now. Um, but I also was so deeply into studying the Bible for such a long time. Right? It was just was the wasn't just reading it it was the reading the commentaries and doing the bible studies and talking about it all the time and there's just at some point you're just like I, I i get it you know what i mean like i don't like i know what it says <laughs> you know and so i just i don't i i like i said i like to read you know the sermon on the mount or something like that that's that's nourishing to me um but i don't need to be going through like deuteronomy you know trying to understand what that means in my life well, because you're not reading the Bible to be right. Exactly. It's, it's like you're reading it. Exactly. For, use the word nourishment. So, and, yeah, and, whereas um, before I was reading it to figure out the rules. 
you know. Right, like, decoded it decode, all. Exactly. Yeah, like all right. the answers are in yeah. here and all I have to do is just understand it. And once I find out what it was in the original Greek and, you know, everything and what, what was happening at that time in history, and then I'm going to know exactly and I'm going to know exactly what to do. Right. And, and so have a million other denominations said the same yeah, thing, right? So, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't work too well, but... Oh my! Yay. So, do you have any as you're going on in this journey, any practical advice or input for people as we march toward November 2020, and they have family members and friends who maybe are different uh, parts of the political spectrum on how to kind of walk this journey with grace while holding on to your convictions? Yeah, I think that. So, I'm a big fan of meditation, and it's changed my life, and. So, you know, if you're a person who prays, that obviously helps. But if you're not a person who prays, then I highly, highly, highly recommend meditation. And I recommend it even if you are a person who prays. Um, Because I think whatever you can be doing to, like, ground yourself, you know, I do a ton of yoga. I get into a lot of nature. I, you know, I just feel like you've got, got to ground yourself in something. For me, it is spiritual practices and spiritual beliefs and kind of remembering what I believe and who I want to be. But it's, it's challenging. It's like high level spirituality, right? Like that's the thing that I realized. It's just like, it's not that hard if you're always around people who think like you. It's just, how hard is it to be, how hard is it to have a serious spiritual walk if you're just surrounded by people who are exactly like you and think exactly what you think? Like the only place that you're going to develop is if you're around people who don't think like you because I can be graceful and nice to people who agree with me that's not hard you know and so or, or even you know having to deal with Trump I mean this is one of the, probably the biggest challenges that I've ever had in terms of trying to maintain that position and it is a daily challenge that's the thing mm-hmm. it's a daily thing you have to daily like think about it practice it you know because it's not it's not going to stop. It's, it's not one of these things where someone did something to you and you need to forgive them and it happened one time. It's something that just keeps happening. Not, not just every day, but like every couple hours. Right? <laughs> so, you know, it's just this. So for me, I just, I, you know, I'm not going to minimize it and say that it's easy. Um, I do think, you know, if, if you're in a, you know, it, say if you have a family, I have a I have quite a few friends who grew up in evangelical families and, you know, are, have become more progressive and their parents are still conservative and they like Trump. I, you know, I think boundaries are important. You know, I don't think you yeah. have to be putting yourself in a position if you're, you know, if you have somebody who wants to fight with you or wants to, you know, say things that are offensive to you or whatever it is. I, I don't think you you have to do that. So I think you can, you know, have boundaries around, you know, what's acceptable to you. And I just wouldn't minimize it. That's the thing. I mean, it's a real struggle. I mean, what do you, what do you guys do? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually in personally, I'm in pretty good shape because I don't have any relatives really that are like, <laughs> I don't know. So you I just get I, old I enough that, that all your relatives yeah, die. Everybody's dying. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm too old for this, but anyway, but you know, just my parents were not like that. My sister's not like that. My, my, my wife and her family, you know, more or less, it's just, we don't have this kind of tensions, but I know Jared, you've got maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Texas yeah. and definitely have a lot of family there. And I think, you, you know, for me, it really has been to make sure that I practice not becoming the very thing that yes. I'm uh, trying to oppose. And so that has been a lot of um, 
just grounding myself in in that grace and for me it's also been reminding of you know i behave out of the deepest values and so if i remind myself what really do i want out of this relationship do i want to be right do i want to still be able to love this person and have them think highly of me and the respect that i give them that sort of orders my interactions with family members and friends and just because we're quoting richard Bohr, i have this quote that's been really helpful for me Um, He says, actually, in Falling Upward, he says, we all become well-disguised mirror images of anything we fight too Mm -hmm. long or too directly. That which we oppose determines the energy and frames the questions for a while. And so I I like that. That which we oppose determines the energy and frames the questions. I just think that's so true that once you're in locked in that, you've already lost because you start your, your energy and the framing of the questions already start to take on this antagonistic feel. And so I've been trying to really redirect my energy and say, what's life-giving and how do I do more of those things and less of the arguing as though that's going to make a difference? Right. Yeah. And I don't think you have to talk about it. I mean, I was thinking about another person that I know who voted for Trump and when he started saying some things, which was really surprising to me because he, I always, he was kind of a, he was a Republican, but kind of a, I don't know, I just sort of never thought of him as being particularly conservative, right? You know, and mm-hmm. um, and then I, he started saying something about immigration or something, and I was like, God, it sounds so familiar. You know, and then I was like, and it was the sort of Trump talking points, you know, and I was like, what is going on here? And then I was like, oh, my God, like, you're totally, like, saying these things that, you know, are so <laughs> upsetting to me that I have to hear at work all the time, right? And so basically, you know, we sort of got into it a little bit and then he said, you know, well, let's talk about it more. And I said, no, I have a better idea. Let's never talk about it because Uh we're never going to agree. So there's just no reason, like there's nothing you're going to say that's going to make me, and there's nothing I'm going to say, you know, on this issue. So let's just pretend like the politics just don't, doesn't even exist because that's the only solution. Right, because getting into it's not going to do anything. Um, you, you know, Brian McLaren, yep. who we've had on the podcast too, by the way, in case you're of wondering. Course. But yeah, who else? Uh, but anyway, he he um, he he puts it really well, and I really learned something from him saying that when he you know he gets baited into things by relatives or this or that, and they sort of give him a speech, and and instead of lashing back, Brian just goes, "Well, hmm." I think differently about that, and that's the end of it. Yeah, you know, there's just you don't get into it. You just you, you sort of you maintain your boundaries. You don't get knocked around. You just say, I just think differently about it. But your relationship doesn't depend on having to solve that issue, which is something that we can try to model, right. you know, to other. Which is hard if you like being right all the time, <laughs> you know. And again, I I mean, I, I resonate with that because, you know, why do people get into academia to begin with? Because they think they're right about everything. Yeah. I'm right about most things, but not everything. You know, I'm <laughs> right, Jared? Okay. Yeah, no, no comment. <laughs> no comment. Yeah, no, but I think it's also just, you know, for me, again, because you mentioned the Enneagram earlier, like as an eight, yeah, like I want to think I'm right all the time, but I think there's something too, and this is Richard Rorian as well, that in the West, though, once we realize that we've privileged rightness as correct opinion about something, and we realize that that's just some abstract notion, and for me, it took the teeth out of it. That like, I actually, I want to be right about embodiment. Mm-hmm. Like, my rightness needs to be looking back on a life well lived, and that's more important than 
being right about this particular topic at this particular time. And so that's been a helpful, like, long-term situational way of framing for me that's really been helpful to say, man, it almost, it's kind of a, a gut check for me as an eight to say, well, I'm fighting so hard to be right, but what if being right in this way is actually pretty small compared to maybe there's other ways of being right in this more mystical or holistic way yeah, of thinking more, like a more and eternal being. point of view yeah no. yeah maybe I mean, more think, eternal or just yeah well no i was gonna say i think so i think for me as an eight it's funny i well i'm a one of the subtypes i think it's a social eight or something i can't mm-hmm. remember they're less confrontational actually but for me it's the feeling like i have to always be like rescuing people you know, and saving people. And so if somebody was to say something, you know, it's my job to like fix what, like my friend in the immigration, right? I got to like save all the people that are being mistreated um, by like convincing this one person, you know, to see it differently. But I'm not going to, that's the thing. Like he's not actually going to change his mind. You know, I know this because I do this Mm -hmm. as a job, you know, and I like don't rarely, you know, change people's minds, you know, every now and then I do, you know, over, but it takes a lot of time. So for me, it's the, it's the gut check of like, what I'm, what am I feeling? So I still feel like Mm. I could say, you know, look, you know, what you're saying, I'm not really sure it doesn't really sound quite, you know, right. And here's some things to think about. But it's without the judgment, mm-hmm. you know, or if somebody say somebody says something racist, of course you say like, hey, you know what? No, that's not OK. And, and here's why it's not OK. But it's not me sitting here going like you racist and you're so bad and I'm so good. It's just very matter of factly, you know, explain yeah, to and them. What I'm, without, what I'm hearing you say is, is a lot of times it's not necessarily what you say. It's how you say it and the posture with which. And it's what you're feeling. Right. right. It's like, yeah. is there an emotional charge where you're, or are you just naming truth? Are you just saying, yeah. you know, this is, this is racist mm-hmm. and this is wrong. And, and you just can't, you can't say things like that, you know? And, you know, if you, if you want to say them, you, you need to go, you know, like you actually can say something like that without heaping scorn and judgment, you know, right. on another person. And I think, and I'm not saying that I, that's like would be my natural reaction at all times. It's, it's more something I aspire to, I think. Well, one thing that's helped me with that is having four kids. That's like a spiritual discipline yes. where you basically, it's like, oh, you know what? They Everyone's happier and healthier and everyone responds better if we have clear boundaries, but we say it without that emotional charge. Uh, and just learning like, oh, the world's just a happier place when we can still have the boundaries and still have the consequences without that emotional reactivity. You can work that out having a podcast co-host too yeah right right i wouldn't right (laughs) (laughs) oh my well listen kirsten this uh thank you so much this has been so much fun getting to know your story a little bit more and appreciate you sharing it uh You've you've got a book that you're starting to work on. Yes, you said, and and it's about grace, and mm-hmm. and you don't really know when that. That's probably going to be a couple years, I guess, right before. It yeah, comes it's out, due or? in October, and I think it'll be out, you know, sometime mid next twenty twenty one. Oh, that's um, pretty good. Though. Yeah, or right. late twenty twenty one or something. Cool. Like that, and so. and the title is Grace. Do you have a title yet? I or? don't really know what the title is. The concept is like Grace ish, just because I kind oh. of got into this thing of like I don't really. You know, I don't really want to be Mother Teresa, but I want to be more graceful. <laughs> so, like, let's, like, we can do better, right? It's like, we don't have to be, mm. we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be Gandhi, 
know. I mean, it would be nice. Right. It would be nice. And are, are you back on uh, Twitter? Not really. I hardly no. spend any time on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Lots of dog right. pictures and, you know. Yes. Um, at Kirsten what, What's that dog's name again? Well, I have two dogs. One is Lucy. Oh. And she's a real little rascal. And okay. Bill. And, um, yeah, so I'm just at Kirsten Powers on Instagram. And um, that's really the only one that I do. And I go on Twitter every now and then and always regret it. Um, <laughs> and, okay. and then I have a podcast that I launched pretty recently. I only have, like, ten episodes up. It's called How to Do You. And the concept behind it is sort of talking to people about how to live authentically. And I've talked to all sorts of different kinds of people like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel. And um, I just talked to Glennon Doyle about her new book. And I'll actually be interviewing Jen and did Van Jones. And it's just different, you know, from all different walks of life. And and I think it kind of grew out of this experience that we were even talking about, which is that I kind of lost I lost connection with myself because I gave away all my power, you know, to the so-called experts. And in my case, they were religious teachers. And once I reconnected, you know, with the true self, if you want to call it that, or, you know, I, my life changed completely. And so, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, listen, thanks. Thanks for being on. We appreciate it very much and uh, blessings to you and your work. Thank you. Thanks, Kirsten. Well, another episode has come and gone. Folks, thanks for listening. We appreciate it every time you click download and play. And one thing we wanted to mention here is if you like the written word just as much as you like listening to the podcast, we have a Genesis for Normal People, the book on our website. You can get there as well as on Amazon, wherever fine books are sold online. You can just go and type in Genesis for Normal People. And we basically, in that book, do what we try to do here on the podcast and break down the best in biblical scholarship for everyday people. And Pete and I have, We change people's lives, Jared. I think, let's just get down to it, That's right? really what we do. Sure, sure. Yeah. Obviously. We just do it through things like <laughs> this podcast and, podcasts, and Genesis yeah. for Normal People. Yeah, okay. So, um, it just it keeps us humble, you know? doing this kind of work yeah clearly. i guess we're so humble so and speaking of humble we have a lot of people to thank our team <laughs> yes. that makes the podcast possible megan kamek our podcast producer yes and do you know any of these people i hope oh you read lively <laughs> is our community champion all the social media stuff and dave gerhardt our audio engineer and stephanie spite our transcriber yes we couldn't do it without them anybody else we missed somebody i think that's it you got that's them it all. that's enough yes A lot of mouths to feed. Okay. (laughs) All right, folks. Thanks for listening. I opened it. I happened to open it exactly to the page that it had their name. But it was a di- apparently I've written it several times, oh, okay. and I was so confused. I was like, like "Wait, that? that doesn't look the same." Who's that? Where is this at? Oh, oh gosh! Well, you you came through for me. Yeah, no, we just nice. make a joke out. I think it's like just make a joke out of it anyway.